Amen. Thank you, Debbie and Nick and worship choir. God's one and only son whose head was wounded, the sacrifice for our sins. God's one and only son was the sacrifice. In just a short time, we're going to see some new faces around this place. The Webbers, the Floyds, and the Myers, amongst others in our community, are all expecting to welcome their precious little ones, daughters, all three of them, into this world. And in each instance, sometime after the baby is born, a nurse will walk around to the mother's hospital room to obtain information for a birth certificate. The parents will disclose their baby's name. Nick can't hide it from us anymore. And then the parents' names, and then they will get the other information necessary, write it down, make sure everything's spelled correctly, and then send it to the state office. And then the daddies will have the wonderful responsibility of following up to make sure they get a copy of the birth certificate. And when it arrives in the mail, it will contain some basic information about each of these newborn girls. Date and place of birth, names of father and mother, race or ethnicity, certification, signature of the recorder, etc., that birth certificate will then be used to validate their identity for the rest of their lives. But there is one bit of information that will not appear on any of these certificates. And really, it doesn't need to be placed on the document because everybody knows that it's a fact. And it might kind of take the joy out of the experience of being parents for a newborn. Because no matter how precious their little faces will look or how happy and wonderful their parents will think everything is and how blessed it will be to hear their little hearts beat. Every one of these children who are born will be born just like the rest of us. They will not be perfect. In fact, I think that's one of the things that bothered me the most about holding my firstborn daughter. Mally Grace. You know, over the first few days in the hospital, you have a lot of thoughts moving through your mind. Among the thoughts of, what if I drop this thing? You also think, oh, she's so beautiful. I understand now why daddies take care of their daughters and chase away the boys, right? And then you have the thought of, oh my goodness, I hope I get this right. And then you think to yourself, what just happened here? There was also this thought that came to my mind. What am I going to do when this precious little girl is just stinking rotten? I mean, you, know, I'm, you know what I'm thinking? I'm not thinking about dirty diapers. I was thinking about when they decided to do something dumb in disobedience or defiance. I had that thought for a couple of years even after the hospital when we took Mally home. Well, what am I going to do when she disobeys? How could I punish this sweet, little, innocent child? And then one night at home, it, it happened. 
She was about three, and I told her to do something. Put away a toy. And very clearly and confidently, she looked her father back in the eye and said, No. That little girl might not realize the thankfulness that she should have had for a daddy who loved her very much, but it was my love for her that helped me not to just pick that child up across the room. You know, I'm, I'm not going there. <laughs> and so, you know, it, being a loving father with more stern speech, I told her a second time what I wanted her to do. And she looked at me again with that little smirk, you know, across her face. No. Woo! You would not believe both the frustration in my heart and the fury that ensued. For the first time in her life, little Mally Grace received one firm love pat with a wooden spoon right on her bottom. She had halfway gotten into trouble before that event, but this was serious business. You might not think so, but she was not innocently putting off a request from her father. She was disrespecting the established authority in her life. And I know that I shouldn't have been surprised by the event because she, like me, she inherited it, and everybody else is born a sinner. Every person birthed into existence in this world is born an enemy of God. Even if there's not the word sinner stamped in cold black ink in all caps on your birth certificate, you know that title is etched on the soul of every human being. And I know that you might not like the idea of, of children being born sinners for a number of reasons. In fact, I don't really like it either. But however unjustified the logic may seem in your own mind, you cannot change the fact that the human race is at odds with its creator. Man and woman were the crowning work of God's creative activity in Genesis 1 and 2, but the peace of paradise and Eden was short-lived because this same man and woman sinned and brought death into God's world. All of us have inherited a nature of sinful selfishness from our first ancestors, and this poses a problem. The Creator is upset with, mad at, and angry towards His people, the very beings whom He created in His own image. In fact, if you don't believe that, the Apostle Paul states it very plainly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, when he calls people children of wrath. That means that we are under the outpouring of God's piercing judgment. Theologian James Montgomery Boyce explained God's wrath as his consistent and unyielding resistance to sin and evil. Sin and evil are in our very hearts. The good news is that even though God is our enemy, he wants us to be at peace with him. Even though we sin and fall short of his glory, he wants to forgive us and restore us to, the, to fulfill the glorious purpose for which he created us in the first place. The only way that he can bring about 
Salvation from sin is if he convicts us of the sobering truth that we all are sinners in need of forgiveness for our sins. The Bible calls this need salvation. Salvation occurs when God takes sinners who are under God's wrath because of their sin and removes their sin so that he can bestow mercy upon them so that they can become his beloved children. You've probably heard something today about mercy in your Sunday school lesson on reconciliation from Ephesians 2. But let me just share a brief definition of mercy with you. Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. He chooses to treat us and care for us differently. Before we can ever be reconciled towards our fellow human beings, we must be reconciled first to God. What we deserve because of our sin is sorrow, suffering, and separation from God. But that is not what God wants for us. In Christ, creatures who are under God's wrath become children of mercy. That is precisely what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I want to read those verses with you this morning. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. As we think of the idea of being identified in Christ, going from creatures of wrath to children of mercy. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless... That is, we sinned and there's nothing we could do about it. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. When Jesus brings us salvation, we are reborn, remade. Figuratively speaking, on our spiritual birth certificate is stamped in big red letters the word mercy. In these verses, Paul points out how God's certification of mercy through salvation helps us identify ourselves in Christ. God's mercy certifies that we belong to Him. I want you to take note of these three certifications of mercy in Christ. First certification of God's love towards us that we are in Christ is that we are conquered by God's mercy. Conquered by God's mercy. In verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul laid the groundwork for the conclusions he would make in verses 9, 10, and 11. 
The train of thought goes something like this. Because of sin, we were helpless, but God sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins to save us. That's verse 6. The sacrificial death is incredible because a person would hardly sacrifice themselves for a good man, much less an evil person. And all people are sinful. Verse 7. And then verse 8 is summed up in that God's sacrifice was greater than any, for He loved us so much that He gave up the life of His own Son so that we might become His sons and daughters. Now just pause and think of God's love and mercy toward us. I know you might have dwelt on that idea before, but let it overpower your mind once again. Christ died for you because God the Father loved you. He wanted to show you mercy. This great love and mercy of God is where Paul presented the idea of justification in verse 9. Justification might sound like a big word, and that's because it is. But you need to have a good grasp on what that word means. Justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of His righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. To simplify it, it means that God loves you and chooses to forgive you because you have trusted in Jesus Christ, who died in your place for your sins. You need to understand how much God loves you because you need to understand how desperately you need God's love. I don't know if you realize this or not, but without Christ, you and I and every other human being are in danger of complete and utter eternal damnation. That's right. Consigned to the place that we call hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worms devour the flesh, where there is no water to quench the fiery flames, and where you and I would be forever separated from God's goodness and at the same time tortured by the presence of His brilliant holiness. We are saved from all of that, saved from God's wrath that we deserved to experience in eternal hell because God's Son bore the burden of our sin upon himself. And that's oftentimes why the message of Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, rubs people the wrong way. They don't want to hear and we don't like to hear that we are at odds with God and it's our fault. But it's the truth. And people also don't like to hear that the only way it can be made right is because of what God has done for us, not what we could do to make up for ourselves. People don't like the fact that we have to come to Jesus in absolute and total surrender. But people must surrender to God because we, without Christ, are His enemies. He points out the sin in our hearts and brings conviction of the wrong that we have done because He is our enemy. Until you realize the danger of standing before a holy God as his sinful opponent, you won't understand his great mercy towards you. Let me give you an example. Christian theologian John 
Piper provided an illustration when he wrote these words. He said, I have heard it said God didn't die for frogs, so he was responding to our value and worth as human beings. But this turns grace on its head. The truth is we are worse off than frogs. They have not sinned. They have not rebelled and treated God with the contempt of being inconsequential in their lives. God did not have to die for frogs. They aren't bad enough. We are. Our debt is so great that only a divine sacrifice could pay it. Oswald Chambers described the spiritual scene of lostness and our need of salvation in this manner. We are children of wrath by nature and are in danger of becoming eternal children of the devil. Jesus Christ will destroy every peace and every love that is not based upon the disposition of holiness. Jesus must be our enemy before he can become our friend. Do you understand that? It's not that God wants to hate you. And it's not that God wants to send anybody to hell. It's that we, because of sin, have put ourselves in that predicament. He wants to rescue us from it all. In Christ, we who were once creatures of wrath become children of mercy. Do you realize that without Christ, you were God's enemy? You and I were worthy of deserving eternity in hell because of rebellion against our Creator. But when you hold up the white flag, when you throw in the towel, when you decide to tap out of the wrestling match and say, God, I, I give up. I'm tired of fighting against you. Would you have mercy on me, a sinner? When that happens, he forgives you. And verse 9 says that you are saved from the wrath of God through his son, Jesus. The first certification that we are in Christ is that we are conquered by God's mercy. We surrender to him. The second certification that we are in Christ is that we are captured by God's mercy. Paul's next conclusion drives God's mercy, the overwhelming power of God's mercy, deeper into our minds. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. That is the life of Christ within us. Being saved from God's wrath in verse 9 means that we are conquered by His mercy. Being saved by His life in verse 10 means that we are captured by His mercy. We must first come to Christ on terms of surrender because we are His enemies. But then we must choose to remain in Christ by means of submission because He is our Lord and we are now His friends and His followers. The daily decision to die to ourselves and to allow Christ to live in us and through us shows us what it means to be captured by God's mercy. When we go astray, He brings us back. We have surrendered to Him and our job is to now submit to Him and yield to His authority in our lives 
And we do so willingly and voluntarily because of the great mercy he has shown to us in Christ. He rescues us and redeems us still. Think about it this way, being captured by God's mercy. Have you ever been in a place where you just simply shouldn't be because of your own ignorance and going somewhere you shouldn't have gone? I was a college student at Williams when I and my friends, some friends back home in Mississippi, uh, heard word that one of our favorite bands, Mute Math, would be playing in downtown Little Rock. And if you've ever heard Mute Math before, we, we can't really play it on Sunday mornings, but, uh, but it's good stuff. Uh, Mute Math was somewhat Christian and somewhat not in their branding of themselves as a band, but they had some neat themes in their music. And I just really loved their sound. And we had been to see them before in Memphis at a concert and had enjoyed it. So I bought myself and, and my friends some tickets and we decided to go. And we were pretty excited to get to see the show, like so much so that we got there early and were some of the first ones lined up there at the door. And it was, uh, it was myself and Jason Cooper and Hunter Bramlett and Brittany Mathis and our church's music minister, Britt Taylor. Britt was a few years older than the rest of us. And as we're waiting, we started to notice that the people around us weren't exactly the kind of people we were used to hanging out with. And they weren't exactly the same kind of people we were used to attending concerts with. And Britt made the comment that he wasn't sure we needed to go through with this whole thing. And I, I said, no, no, we'll be all right. I wanted to hear mute math. We'll, we'll be fine. Well, after the bouncer let us in the door and uh, we saw a bar at the back, we decided to stay away from that side of the building, but we kind of to look around and go, I don't know what we've gotten ourselves into. And then the music started playing and we got to enjoy about two and a half songs when we realized that we had not gone to a concert. We were smack in the middle of a club party scene and we wanted out. We're surrounded by drunk people, completely uncomfortable people saying things that we never wanted to hear, and we were more than just a little worried. And at that time, our, our older friend, Britt, said, guys, I'm getting us out of here. And mild-mannered Britt Taylor cut us a path through that rowdy and ridiculous crowd and brought us outside and back to our cars where we were safe. Understand this, Britt was not my enemy. He was my friend, and my friend knew that I had taken us to a place where we had no business being, and he captured us and brought us back to safety. It wasn't that I wanted to be in the middle of that scene. It was that I had gotten into the middle of that scene. In the Christian life, there are places you simply shouldn't go Literally and spiritually, and sometimes those go hand in hand. Sometimes you stumble into those pits because of ignorance. And at other times, if you're honest with yourself, you may go astray out of simple foolishness. Like a dog, as Peter describes in his epistle, returning to its own vomit. But when Jesus Christ, your friend as a Christian, gets a hold of you and says, Hey, you shouldn't be here. Let's get out of here. You let him take you by the hand 
and lead you out of the mess you've gotten yourself in. That certification that you are a child of mercy. God captures you with his mercy. In Christ, children of wrath become children of mercy. And the third certification that you are in Christ. You're not only conquered by God's mercy and captured by God's mercy, but verse 11 shows us that we are kept by God's mercy. Third certification, you and I are in Christ, is that we are kept by God's mercy. Verse 11 begins this way, not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. It's not just that Jesus forgave us and then gave us a clean slate so that we could start all over. It's that Jesus forgave us and put us right with God so that we could live in fellowship and relationship with Him, not based on what we do, but based on what He has done for us. That is, we don't save ourselves and we don't keep ourselves saved. Jesus saves us and He keeps us in God's good grace and wonderful love. God's grace has the power not only to forgive you of past sin, but also to free you from committing future sin. I'm not presenting an idea that you can achieve sinless perfection on your own in the Christian life. But I am telling you that the same Jesus who conquered sin with his death on the cross lives in you now to keep you from sinning. Understand that when you exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you are walking with him step by step, hand in hand. He is the good shepherd and he will not lead you astray. He will lead you to green pastures and to still waters. And even if and even when you walk through the dark valleys of temptation, trial, and tribulation, he will be right there with you to guide you and to guard you because you are one of his sheep. He keeps you in the fold through his mercy. You are a child of mercy and your perfect heavenly Father will not fail to take care of you. A few years ago, Stephanie and the kids and I went to go visit Stephanie's sister, Leanne, and her husband, Justin. They live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Justin is the uh, next generation pastor, and I can't remember what all kind of fancy titles they've given him now, at Woodland Park Baptist Church. But he does a good job there serving the Lord and is faithful to answer the call God's placed on his life. And they decided that they wanted to take us and do something that was Chattanooga-ish, right? So we're in town. We had to, that's, that's a new word, by the way. We had, to, we had to do something that only people in Chattanooga would do. So we batted around a few ideas, and we decided to go rock climbing. And, uh, and we had a ton of fun. Other than wearing that harness, which is just painful and uncomfortable, it was just it was a great time. And I started to scale up these walls, and they had two or three different types. And so I went up an easy one, then I went up a medium one, and then I went up one hard one, and I made it. I came back down, and then it was Stephanie's turn. She'd been watching all the kids. You know, I had to test everything out first to make sure nobody's going to get hurt, and and then I decided to let Stephanie go. And, uh, and what happened was just absolutely hilarious. I'll never forget about this. 
She might kill me for sharing this later, but it's, it's too good to pass up. She got her harness on and began to climb up the rock wall. And I kind of got embarrassed because she was going up that with much more ease than I ever was. And I thought, man, she's going to show me up. But here's what happened when Stephanie got to the top. She got to the top, and if you've ever been to a climbing place, you've got to let go of the wall and let the rope lower you back down. Stephanie held on to the very top of that wall for dear life. And, I, you know, 30 seconds go by, and I'm thinking, hey, she'll let go of this. No. A couple minutes go by, she'll let go. No. And I, I noticed that people are starting to walk by like, what's going on up there? And I, it, at this point, I'm just, I'm kind of starting to laugh and have a good time. And I'm thinking, look. Once you're up there at the top, the, the scary part's climbing and thinking that harness is going to kick you and jerk you around. That, that's the scary part. When you're up there, that rope is holding you. All you got to do is let go. It's going to bring you back down to the ground, safe and sound. I kid you not, for 15 minutes, Stephanie hung on to the top of this wall, would not let go. And all of us, me and, and Justin, uh, Stephanie's brother-in-law and Leanne, her sister, and at this point, the kids are chiming in, just let go. It's all you get, just let go. You are going to be fine. Just let go and come back down to the ground. It'll all be okay. And I'm not sure if she actually like got the courage to just push herself off the wall or if her arms finally got so tired that she just slipped and fell. But whatever the case, she came off the wall. And would you know what happened? That harness and that rope carried her safely all the way down to the ground. She got up again and did the same thing, wouldn't let go. But the rope carried her back down when she finally did decide to let go. But it makes me think of this in the Christian life when it comes to walking with Jesus and understanding who we are in Christ. There are so many people who are so often still so scared of God that they don't know what to do. Now, I, I told you before, that without Christ, we're God's enemies. But folks, once you've given your life to Jesus Christ and surrendered yourself to Him, you are His child. He doesn't treat you like an outsider. You belong to Him, and He's not going to let you go. And you need to understand that. And even when you can't grasp just how much God's, God loves you and how His mercy is going to keep you, God is still holding on to you. Like a father holding his child's hand and walking down the road when his child slips and their fingers begin to pull out of their father's hand, the father is still there to grab hold and he's not going to let go. We are kept by God's mercy. Forgiveness does not give us the excuse to live in sin and do whatever we want to. It gives us the reason and the desire not to live in sin. God's mercy conquers us when we are His enemies, and it captures us when we go astray. But God's mercy also keeps us right there beside Him. In Christ, creatures of God's wrath become children of mercy the third certification that you are in Christ is that you are kept by God's 
mercy. Let me ask you a few questions this morning. Are you here today listening to God's word and you realize that even though God loves you and God loves you enough to send his son to die for you, that you still are God's enemy because you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Let me encourage you and challenge you this morning to give yourself to him. Trust me, you are not going to win if you're fighting against God. But you'll win every time if you'll just surrender your life to him. Because he'll save you, he'll forgive you. Are you here this morning? And you're a Christian, you're no longer an enemy of God because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. But through ignorance or foolishness, you've gone astray from Jesus would you fall in love with him again and remember the great mercy that our God has shown to us through his son, Jesus? Would you allow his mercy to capture you? Or are you here this morning? And you know you're a Christian. You want to walk with God and you want to follow Jesus and you want to honor him and please him and glorify him in your life. But man... You're just scared sometimes that you're going to get it wrong. That you're going to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. And it's like you're walking on eggshells before your heavenly father. Would you just realize for a moment that if he loved you enough to send his only son to die for you, that he's going to love you enough to keep you in his mercy? Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Just a few moments, you're going to hear a song of invitation played. As the song is played, I just invite you to respond to God as he has spoken to your heart this morning. If you need to be conquered by God's mercy or captured by his mercy, or if you need to remember that he keeps you by his mercy, would you just allow him to work in your heart and your life as he needs to do so? I'll be standing down here in the front. If you need to come and speak with me or if you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be happy to do so. This altar is open if you need to come and kneel in prayer. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to him?